Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So I saw Carl Benjamin post a really interesting uh, post over on Twitter about liberalism, classical liberalism, some of the challenges that it faces and some of the adjustments it has to make if it wants to survive. And I thought it was really fascinating. I thought it would be great to bring him on. Carl's, of course, the head of the Lotus Eaters. If for some reason you are not checking out all of that content, you most assuredly should. Carl, thanks for joining me. Anytime, man. It's a real pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So I saw this post and I definitely wanted to have this conversation because it kind of opens up all kinds of different stuff that I've been talking about, but things that I've noticed that you have been exploring and I think really tie into a lot of the kind of zeitgeist around a lot of political movements that we saw online throughout the years, now kind of arriving at a conclusion that scares some, worries others, many are not sure how to address this. So we'll just go ahead and dive right into it. Your post talked about kind of the problems that classical liberalism faces, that it made some assumptions that a lot of people have forgotten about, and now those things leave it vulnerable to some real problems. What are some of those issues that you're talking about with classical liberalism? Well, the the... I think the one that is at the very bottom, that it is difficult for an atheist such as myself to admit, is that it was always presupposed by the classical liberals, say Locke and the cohort around that sort of time, late 17th century, early 18th century, is that they would be Christians. That was always presupposed. And therefore you get a Christian social morality uh, as a substratum to the very notion of classical liberalism. And this made classical liberalism work in its own day, and for, for many, many years afterwards, obviously, um, because it, it really is a form of kind of game theory against the state. It's a, it's a legalistic doctrine that only has a very narrow focus on what areas of life that it should actually have. Uh, any control over, any, any influence over. And it made sense. It makes sense to have a doctrine of rights, natural rights, uh, when dealing with the government, because it's not just that you as an individual benefit from that. Everyone will benefit from a general softening of the hard edge of state power, because if the people in charge also believe in a doctrine of natural rights uh, that is underpinned by God, then you have a much more stable society that is less prone to political purges, to the confiscation of property. It's much more amenable to liberal ideals. And honestly, I think the, there have been many people who have said this over the, over the years, but the, the idea that classical liberalism is kind of an extraction of the Christian English tradition, political tradition, and just a, a codification of it. And that's why it works. I, th I am genuinely at the point where I think that that's probably true. Um, and without, the underpinning of what we can just broadly term conservatism, uh, the liberal tradition becomes what has been known in academic circles as comprehensive liberalism. And that's liberalism applied to every aspect of life where the only moral factor is whether a person consents to the social contract or not. And you can imagine what applying a doctrine of consent does to all of those things in our lives that we didn't actually consent to, but still consider to be a public good, such as being born, such as having a family, such as having a country. Uh, all of these things are things that we uh, inherited or gifted without anyone asking us whether these were right or wrong and whether we wanted them. 
and we are habituated and raised into them, and they are good things, but they're not liberal things. And so if you apply a comprehensive view of liberalism to all things in life, uh, you get a universal acid that eats away at every social institution imaginable. And I think that's happened, and I think that's where we are now. Yeah, obviously, I'm in agreement with that, and there's a lot of different parts of that that we probably want to unpack, but let's mm. just go ahead and start at the beginning. Like you said, a lot of this seems really rational to a bunch of people who are kind of obsessed with contract law because there's this substrate of Christianity, particularly in uh, in the you know America and, and uh, other places, kind of a Protestant Christian uh, substrate that everything kind of arises out of. And there's these assumptions we can make. We can we can liberalize some of these interactions in the public square because we know at the end of the day people will still be bound by these other social spheres in really important ways. And in fact, the American founders were really clear about this. You have people like John Adams saying the Constitution is only good for you know governing a moral and religious people. It's not good for anybody else. So they weren't unaware of this issue. This is, this is not something that we've just reverse engineered and discovered. This is something that many of the people enacting what was happening there understood kind of as a foundational necessity for liberalism going forward. What do you think it is, though, that allowed this to kind of break free of that base understanding, this understanding that this has to be part of this? Where, why do people feel that they were able to expand the sphere of liberalism in a way that would eventually kind of erode that basis of Christian consensus? It's a really good question, and there's probably no one route to it, but um, I... Instantly, I was I was reading this just before the stream, which if you can't see is just a, a, an overview by a chap called Jonathan Darcy over of Berkeley's uh, contentions with Locke. And he had many contentions with Locke because Locke was what we could call uh, an empiricist realist and Berkeley was an idealist. Um, but Berkeley has a good point on a lot on one particular thing in my opinion which is the role of god in both conceptions of the world and john locke uh, just to be clear was a deeply religious man he thought atheism should be made illegal he was right. that religious right so it, it it isn't that john locke wanted atheism it's just and i think this is a habit that many liberals have they're very optimistic whereas you can get a slightly more cynical person like berkeley and uh, he says expressly that if you create a worldview in which the universe is mechanical, so it's kind of like a, a clock, and it's wound up by God and then just left to mechanically operate on its own uh, merits from that, that point onwards, then you don't actually need God to be a part of your worldview. And I think that is the, general, the genuine sort of beginning of bifurcation into atheism. Because if the, the universe is mechanical, all you need then is a doctrine that can replace God as the prime mover. And again, I just want to make it, I'm saying this as an atheist who has studied these things and come to these conclusions. Uh, I don't have an emotional need to drive to this point. Because a lot of people will say, well, Christians would say that, or Muslims would say that, or whoever. But I'm neither a Muslim or a Christian, and I've never been, and I don't have any animus against either of the religions really at base. Um, I just someone who has done the reading and has looked into it with what I what I hope is a fairly impartial perspective and come to the conclusion, well, actually Berkeley is right on that because, of course, 
we developed the doctrine of the Big Bang, and I'm not challenging any of the science or anything like that. I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. Um, but what you can see philosophically is what happens is that easily replaces uh, God, or actually it kind of kicks the ball further down the field, or it kicks the can, uh, because of course, you know, well, what's the origin of that? And we've got no answers. Um, but it, for the for the modern rational person, the rationalist person, what that does is um, f fully uh, brings about Berkeley's prediction that in fact, we will have a mechanical universe that does not require God, and therefore atheism will become predominant, and religion will die. And how was he wrong? That's that's the answer. Yeah, I find that really interesting because, of course, of course Carl Schmitt came to a similar conclusion uh, when he talked about political theology. He said that kind of the deism that was popular during uh during kind of these liberal periods was an attempt to remove god in many ways for you know the the removal of the miracle and so he mm. tied the transition from monarchy to liberal democracy to the same transition between the need for the miracle and the need for the mechanical universe that the removal of the executive and their ability to will things into existence was also removal of kind of the power of God and his need for the divine intervention and the miraculous. The state of exception gets removed and instead you're governed by mechanisms and constitutions rather than divine providence. And that kind of slowly but surely kind of shifts people into a mindset of, sure, maybe God's out there somewhere creating something, but he's not really necessary for our day-to-day -day function. We've rationally instituted a mechanism that will govern us objectively without the need or kind of the divine wisdom, uh, you know, imparted into a king mm. or someone else. And therefore, we are now able to kind of avoid this necessary miracle, this necessary connection to the divine. And he, even even that on its own, I don't think is the worst thing that could have happened. Uh, the, the presuppositions that were put in place by deeply religious and Christian people um, have carried on for generations through which people became atheists like um literally for the last like three or four generations you can see religiosity on the decline and yet things still carried on because at least the presuppositions of uh what it is to be a good and noble and decent person and to have an orderly country to follow the laws all of these assumptions were all at least baked into the culture but with the proliferation of this comprehensive liberalism that has gone through the the educational system through academia from academia and now into the educational system as we see it we are now seeing generations of people who are simply not tethered to those religious presuppositions even though we haven't been religious for some time right and so that that's where it becomes a real problem because at least before you had a kind of unspoken anchoring in a reality of the universe but now we've come to the point well actually the universe if it doesn't conform to our moral choices the, the choice of our free wills then the universe itself is the thing that is wrong not the will that is fighting against creation uh, and therefore i was born in the wrong body therefore i was born in the wrong race therefore you you get all of these sorts of movements that are striving against the natural order and that's quite a big uh, challenge to take on and it might actually be a lot easier if you come to peace with that which you are and change your mind rather than change your body but uh, i think it's all a bit late for that now isn't it do you think that healthy restrictions on the human can be removed 
from an investment in metaphysics? Sorry, healthy restrictions so, on. Sorry, go on. Yeah, do, do you think that people are able to self regulate from individuation and liberation if they are not invested in an idea that the hierarchies around them, naturally established, are somehow based on something transcendent and metaphysical? I think, yes, that is possible uh, because you could have a very practical and down-to-earth view of the world. Uh, honestly, a rather English view of the world that isn't really very metaphysical, but is based in real-world practicality that is just uh, a bit unthinking, uh, but, but realistic, and would say, look, you're obviously a boy, you're obviously a girl, you need to do this, you need to do that. And you don't necessarily have to have a dogmatic, transcendent view. Um, however, there are other things that come along with that, because then uh, you do have, again, another valid argument against what essentially just collapses into utilitarianism, which is, well, why wouldn't you just live at the level of an animal then? Uh, and of course, you had the Epicureans through to Mill saying, well, surely the uh, the argument will go that the finer things in life are above animals to the intellectual pleasures. And so people will naturally strive towards them, to which we can look around at modern culture and say that's clearly not happened. Right. Uh, that was that was clearly wrong. People aren't striving for anything and we're in a clear decline at this point. Um, so that argument, I don't believe, holds up even though conceivably it could have done. Um, but no, I, 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 do, I do find myself having difficulty refuting the point that actually having some, a higher ideal to strive for might actually be genuinely healthy for mankind. Yeah, I, I would say beyond just healthy, like ab absolutely necessary for kind of uh, one to order themselves and orient themselves kind of towards mm. something like that. But Let's let's get back to comprehensive liberalism before we go too deep. Let's define our terms before we kind of go a little too deep here. You you noted the difference here between classical and comprehensive liberalism. What what is that practical difference, and can can we really keep one from transitioning into the other? Well, right to answer the second question, no, I don't believe you can actually, unless you have a strong religious doctrine that underpins uh, your liberalism. I don't believe so. So the the classical liberal position um, is in the twentieth century most well represented in academia by Rawls. Uh, the Rawlsian political liberal says, "Well, liberalism is purely a political doctrine, and therefore, if the uh, act that we're talking about, such as uh, female genital mutilation or something, if that is uh, illiberal, then we can." make arguments to ban it. But the thing is, the same arguments therefore go further. And a comprehensive liberal would say, well, why do we stop at any one particular point? Uh, you may have a an inherited narrow band of things that liberalism should consider. But why should liberalism therefore permit, say, a nunnery to exist, where you have uh, a set of illiberal rules that a person consents to going into the nunnery, but then is 
has illiberal practices imposed upon them, or a person might willingly choose to have female genital mutilation in order to take part in a particular community that requires that for membership uh, in order to gain the other benefits of being in that community. And the political liberal would say, well, it's just because it's outside of the purview of the state. That person's made an informed choice to join the convent to get female genital mutilation, and therefore it's not my issue. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a definite moral hole there, because people will be looking at whatever illiberal practice they can see going on and say, well, look, I don't really agree with that. And in fact, it isn't so much that that should be permitted to happen. In fact, I don't think that should be permitted to happen. But also, maybe we should start interrogating the formation of the beliefs that led to that being the choice that that person would make. So the question of informed consent actually becomes, well, actually, illiberal institutions formed the desire for that person to go into that uh, social institution, and therefore they didn't really consent to it. And so the comprehensive liberal starts challenging absolutely everything that they do in their life. And of course, there isn't any social institution in the world that can withstand non-stop constant critiquing of everything you were asked to do. Because at some point you're going to be asked to do something you don't want to do, and then the social institution breaks down. Um, so yeah, I don't think actually without without a what I'm again, I'm just going to broadly call a conservative, uh, a very firm conservative base, liberalism can prevent itself from bleeding into comprehensive liberalism. Because the when you have a strong conservative religious base, you have a suite of moral values that are important. These things matter all the time. And you are weighing up these values with the liberal values which conflict. Well, if you take these away, then you are left only with the liberal values of consent, liberty, and equality. And all of those can be used to liquidate any institution. In fact, that's kind of what Rawls relies on entirely, right? Completely removing the person in the original position from any tradition, from any tie, from any standard or a boundary. And then, yes, anything, of course, can. And this is why I think, you know, Al Alistair McIntyre makes a great point in After Virtue about how basically liberalism had to abandon any kind of attempt to actually rationally determine uh, comprehensive morality and basically has to default to utility. There's no other option because yeah. the because there are they've completely freed themselves from any ability to have a shared moral language about you know which around which you could then build any anything of significance and so the only thing left to do is kind of say well have you consented to this and what leverage is the best for the most you know who who happened to consent in that way and so i think it is a situation in which if you if you liberate people from this if you make sure that you remove them from any way to like bind that definition and bind that language around kind of a common vision of the good, then there's really just no argument to be had. It's it, it, like you said, everything simply becomes subject to this acid in which it's like, okay, well, mm -hmm. did you sign up for this? Are you bound to this? Do we have, and, and a big part of this, which, you know, we, we haven't ta touched on yet, but I think is essential here. Increasingly, we have the technology to liberate people from all of these bonds that didn't exist beforehand. Yeah, you might in theory have not consented to your family, but that didn't matter before because you die if you didn't follow the rules. But now the state will come and pick you up. You know, the, you, you yeah. no longer have to be bound by your, your parents. You're no longer completely dependent on your church or your community or your tribe for your continuation. You can just wait for the Leviathan state to come along and, and, and fill those holes for you. And so now there, there's a whole nother level of this that did not exist previously when these uh, institutions were more robust. Yeah, this um, this is really concerning, actually, because 
it not not only does the comprehensive liberal position attack the social institutions it ends up attacking the human body itself um, the drive towards and th this is something that both uh, Julius Avola and C.S. Lewis both picked up on is there's got to be a kind of science that doesn't end up with the desire to remake the human being itself right because the through uh, what, what I, we can just call the liberal lens science ends up redirecting its own po a point of focus onto the human body and saying well hang on a second this person didn't choose to be born a man they want to give birth well, we need to modify the human body now. Now the human body is up for debate. Now the human organism, the, the very nature of what it is, uh, well, men, I mean, it's going to come where there are going to be implanted wombs at some point so men can give birth. It's going to happen because science is desperate for it to happen to fulfill the, the fantasies of a very, very small number of people. And uh, this seems to me to be kind of grotesque, actually. Um, it's... I mean, I, I'm so far off of this reservation at this point uh, that I I found myself just v returning to a very basic uh, scheme of Aristotelian virtue ethics. Or am I right? What is it just to be a good human, to live a good life, to have human flourishing, to just be the you know good at what be a good person, and do the right thing? You know, I've, I'm I, I can see where liberalism is going, and I'm like, no, I'm just. I'm just going to be thousands of years before that. Just start the start back at the beginning of what it is to be a good person, you know. But again, the key for that, and I think that this is the problem of what liberalism has done. The key to Aristotelian virtue is that it exists inside a community. It exists Absolutely. inside these institutions that are going to define who you are. It's mm -hmm. going to orient you towards a vision of the good. And liberalism has eradicated those. You you no longer have these small communities in which you can be defined by your social bonds that so you're the, who you are to these people, or at least I know they're not completely eliminated, but they're doing yeah. their very best to make that the, the case. They, they certainly, are. I, I would definitely say that's too strong. Um, communities do still exist. Real communities sure. do still exist. And I think the institution of the family is the place to begin there, obviously, uh, as a husband and father myself, um, I find myself spending a lot of time just thinking about how to be a dad. Uh, what's the best that I can do? And yeah, investing yourself in your local community. Going, I mean, in England, it's not too bad. You can go down to the local pub and you can still engage with people in real life. Now, I'm 43, so maybe it's because of my station in life that that's possible. If you are some 21-year-old Zoomer who has no idea what a pub is and has community only in online groups, well, it's a different thing. Um, but... And I, I'm not saying have an answer for that either, but I, I, it's not gone completely, but you are right that it's under siege and it is being attacked and the universal acid is working its way in and it's something we have to be conscious of, if nothing else. Now, it's interesting because you shot me an e a, uh, a tweet here right before we got started because mm. um, you'd already talked about kind of how you, you wanted to address this a little bit to kind of the conceit of the new atheism movement. But you were sending me a tweet from from a new atheist, and they came to a conclusion that uh, you've talked about, I've talked about, a lot of people in our sphere have talked about. Uh, it's not unpopular now for people to understand that wokeness is a religion, that it's connected to these things, that it's filling the hole left by you know a, a lack of God or or an understanding of the divine. And he's raging on, right? He's raging on, saying, "Well, how could the plebs?" 
you know, uh, have fallen for this. You know, we gave them the answer. Prometheus delivered fire unto well, them, and they were kind of returned uh, so back I, to their squalor. So can I can I speak some somewhat in defense? I'm just going to get the truth. Sure, 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 absolutely. Because I I know who this is. Um, this is David Silverman, uh, the president of Atheists for Liberty. He's a he's a Republican atheist. Um, and years ago, he um, I, I essentially became friends with him because I was like, well, look, all of this woke SJW nonsense, uh, not exactly very liberal, is it? We, you know, we, we should probably not be going down this road. And he uh, got hit with Me Too allegations, which were obviously spurious, and became uh, came over much more to our side of the fence. And I do think that his tweet is a reflection of that journey that he personally has been on as well. Um, so it's it's not that... Um, sorry, I'm just trying to get the tweet up. Um, I can bring it up if you'd like here. Right, yeah. So it, it's not that... I don't think he's saying this with arrogance. And actually, I think there's a, a, a quite a lot of humility in this. Because I think one of the things that the atheists forgot... And this, I think, is an important point, is that they were all smart people. They're all genuinely smart people. And they forgot that actually half of the population are not smart, uh, not even average, uh, lower than average, in fact, which meant that, in fact, uh, as David says here, um, the masses yearned to be told what to think, not the freedom to learn and do skepticism. Uh, that is actually a statement that contains quite a few assumptions and really comes from a position of privilege, doesn't it? Um, because I've I, my my family are working class. I've known I've got lots of friends and family who are working class, uh, and I was lucky enough to be uh, middle class because my father went to the RAF. But it was it's evident that. When he says it's not, it's what they they yearn to be told what to think, not the freedom to learn and read and do skepticism. Well, it's an uncomfortable thing to think about, but you have to have a certain level of intelligence to be able to grasp certain arguments. And if you aren't intelligent, then it's not necessarily that you yearn to be told what to think. It's that David is assuming that everyone is as smart as he is. And there is going to be a large segment of the population that just simply isn't academically minded. They aren't people who are doing well cognitively, but they may, you know, and, and when you say that, it makes it sound like that person is somehow inferior or a failure or something like that. And that's not what I'm saying. I know lots of smart people who are not good people. And I know lots of people who are not smart people who are good people and are successful through the use of their hands, through the use of doing things that are real and physical and manual and actually useful to the world. So I don't want people to think I'm in any way pouring scorn or anything like that. Yeah, I, I sorry, I just want to step in here real yeah, quick sure. to clarify because I think it's important here. So I hear what you're saying, but most of the people who were on the front lines of adopting this were the most learned people, the most academically minded people, the most mm -hmm. quote unquote skeptical people. Who they are the people who were at the forefront of falling for this. And the people who are arguably most resistant to this were people who are not those people who were not academically yeah. gifted, who were not placed in this position. I don't think that people are not intelligent enough is really an explanation for what happened here. No, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. What, what I mean is uh, 
the the people who are on the lower end of the bell curve are not inclined to read and do skepticism right they're not actually very bothered about that they've got you know things going on in their lives that they want to worry about uh, and so what david did is applied the template of himself to the the broader population and assumed that they would just all be like him because at base he is a liberal and that is the the very root liberal assumption is that all human beings are the same and what he's arrived at is the discovery that in fact actually they're not there are lots of differences between human beings and iq is one of those differences and so what he's interpreting in a rather dismissive way there's sort of like well they, they don't want the freedom to learn and read and think is a sort of cognitive privilege and assumption that everyone would want to get to that point and actually that's just not true uh, they don't desire it and even if they did you know maybe they wouldn't be capable of it and even if they were people have a plurality of interests and so they attacked religion on materialist grounds uh, have destroyed the public reputation of religion and now find themselves looking at the void being filled as he says by woke ideology which as you said is absolutely a form of religion because it has a comprehensive totalizing uh, world view that it's trying to explain every single thing from now you know i'm not trying to cast aspersions on religion but the the fact of the matter and he makes a good point that it's like look this is a religion without church now so it's not even violating the law when it's being put into schools put into uh the const uh, the the government and whatnot in america so it's kind of a bear trap that the new atheist stepped into that he is recognizing has caught his leg and it i think comes from a bit of hubris actually um but this is the position that they're in I think it comes from something a little more important, which is a complete, if not a complete denial, an absolute scorn for human nature. Um, this is a. This I, I'd is, be more charitable. I'd be more charitable. I, I, would, I, I would not, but that's fine. I, <laughs> You're more I, than I understand. And, and as as a former new atheist speaking to a Catholic. I can understand why you wouldn't be more charitable to them. Um, to be fair, but, I'm Southern Baptist, but I understand what you're saying. Right, okay. But I, they thought they were doing the right thing. Sure, of course. They, they really thought they were. And yeah. they thought they had all of the answers. And you are you are right that it's hubris. And, uh, but I, 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 wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to impute malice, right? It's, it's not... I would I wouldn't say malice, but I would say and there's there's an important thing here. Um, when you say humanity is not enlightened enough to kind of embrace what I embrace, you're sitting like right in the middle of the bell curve meme, right? <laughs> like mm. like Grug is at the bottom saying we need religion, and then yeah. like somewhere Aquinas is on the other end, and yeah. you're sitting in the middle saying why can't everyone just be as rational as me, right? That, um, that is kind of the new atheist position, yeah. Right, right. And, and so it's not just that people embraced a, didn't get the point and embraced a new religion. It's that new atheists were too much in denial about the nature of reality to understand that the metaphysical is real and spirituality is an aspect of human life. And your inability or refusal to interact with that does not make you a better person or a more enlightened person that those, than those that do. And I think that's kind of what's being revealed here is like, oh, well, we, we destroyed the church that was already there, but we just empowered another church because the masses couldn't go without their precious opiate. 
And so now we're stuck with something even worse than what we destroyed. And yeah, in some sense, you're right. It is like a kind of a mea couple of, well, I guess we kind of messed up here because we didn't actually do a good thing by destroying what was kind of working and replacing it with something that wasn't paving the way for something that 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 is worse. But it's still a denial to understand like a core part of humanity that isn't going away. And in the end, that is far more of a failure than being like, oh, well, the book said so. So I'm going to be a good person. It's definitely a product of their liberal ideology. Uh, it makes them very blind to, um, well, the reality of the world. And I think that this is just something you can see, honestly, with all liberals, um, it, because it's based on faulty presuppositions of a universal man, then everything essentially boils down to that. Where, again, he, he thought that, okay, let, let, let's assume that uh, David's 120 IQ, uh, so he's a smart guy, and he wants to improve humanity which i'm sure he did and therefore assuming that everyone could be like him is just not fair actually it's like you said it's a denial of human nature and so grug is actually correct when he says no i need god and i don't care uh, i'm not going to listen to your you know namby pamby uh arguments i'm going to church uh grug is actually correct whereas the 120 iq uh skeptic is wrong there and it, there there is something mildly amusing about it. i tell you the, uh, the religious folks must be enjoying this quite a lot um it's it's weird eating crow about these things as a former liberal and new atheist um but uh no no the 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 bell curve meme is correct basically it's real right the the aquinas and grug coming to a harmony on a point that means that point is probably true yeah, and, and to be clear, like, uh, I mean, it's it's always nice to have someone say, yeah, okay, this was right. But th that's not the point, uh, you know, yeah. here. The the point is simply, I hear, I'm hear i hearing a lot of what you're saying from a lot of people. And that's a great step forward. That realization, that understanding, I think is really essential. But I'm also hearing a lot of people um, who are kind of in the, I didn't leave the left, left me camp, uh, say like, but we can't recognize that like actually we do need this stuff we, we have to pretend like okay we made a tactical error somewhere there was yeah. a you know we, we we drew the lines in the wrong place but if we could just roll it back 10 years and do it all again we could probably throw up enough barriers to keep people from pretending that men can become women and it would all be fine at the end of the day well, I mean, it would be nice to close the door after the horse has bolted, right? Right, right. But uh, it's way too late for that. And, I mean, it, I, I think that an argument could be made that it would be nice to return to Fresh Prince, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. And sure. I don't really see, given the framework that already existed even then, how we would prevent another intersectional uh, and comprehensive liberalism from merely arising. It's, uh, it kind of feels like an inevitability out of the logical premises that have been assumed. And really, all you're doing is waiting for a monster like this to come up and start devouring everything. So, But I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think you are hitting on a point, which is a lot of the rationalist skeptic types, I think, are going to have trouble admitting that actually being on this road is the problem and choosing a different path is actually a necessary one uh, because essentially it's going to undo all of their life's work and that's not an easy thing to have to admit that you're going to do i mean to be honest with you, this why this why i'm speaking in defense of david here like for him to have posted this 
is actually very brave and very honest because i mean do you remember when he the the, the way that david silverman became a meme when he was talking to uh, bill o'reilly about the moon and how the tide goes in and out and no one can explain it and he's just like actually we can explain that you know anyone can explain that uh and it it like if you think back then the cultural capital that the new atheists had compared to now where they're basically admitting yeah we were wrong um it's it's not been a very long time but it has been a very dramatic shift no and and that's for sure i guess the thing like i said i'm glad that a lot of these people understand kind of where we are now the reality mm -hmm. of of kind of the situation on the ground and they're not too proud to admit that mm -hmm. okay there's a there's an issue here and if i continue to deny this then yeah we're, we're i'm gonna lose to something i'll be far denying worse. reality right you know, yeah. It, yeah so i guess the issue here's the issue i see now going forward there's a an anti-woke coalition, I guess, if you want to call it that, that is now formed. And the thing that I keep seeing people spinning their wheels on over and over and over again is how do we actually resist? And it feels like people who are trying to do a push-up in the air, right? They have nothing to push up off of because they have at the kind of the core of their being a denial of a system that would be required to have any kind of actual structure to society. And so I see a lot of people who, you know, they don't want kids getting trans. They don't want, you know, people getting fired because they're white. They don't want mm -hmm. people screaming at people, you know, that because they, they, they're the wrong skin color. But they also don't have any understanding of like how you would forge a polity moving forward, how you would create a community and a, a moral basis that would allow you to kind of advance that and so they spend a lot of time going like well we have to oppose this we have to oppose that mm. but then a minute someone's like okay well the way we oppose that is we ground that in the fact that like this violates some kind of religious presupposition like oh no i can't have that that would be insane mm. that would be crazy it's like okay what are you going to ground it in uh, reason and logic how'd that go last time really poorly okay what's the new plan in you fact know what I'm saying? in fact it's that they they never seem to ask themselves why are we on the defensive? Why are we constantly losing the sure. argument? Why are the people in power constantly doing the woke thing rather than the 90s liberal thing? And that's because, as you're saying, the reason and logic of the premises that you begin with arrive at the comprehensive liberal position because you have no competing value set. And you have no competing value set because you jettisoned Christianity but kept the assumptions without admitting you kept the assumptions. Like the, the question, why, why can't you trans children? Well, that requires a very conservative and probably at base, a kind of religious view of the creation of man and woman that just happened to have persisted throughout society. And of course, reflects real life, right? We can see what men and women are. But if you're a liberal and you don't have this, you, you don't, you can't be authentic about that, then Ultimately, you can say, well, I just don't think it's right. And then you lose every argument going forward because you're afraid to appeal to the thing you would have to appeal to, which is that conservative grounding. And you, you're absolutely right. Pushing on air is a, doing push-ups on air is a good way of putting it because they don't like it and they know they don't like it because they know it's wrong to do, but they don't know why it's wrong to do and they can't articulate why it's wrong. And uh, you, you're absolutely right. There's They need to think of something and... Uh, they, I don't think, will be coming to Christianity. Uh, not because they're, again, they're hateful people or anything. Um, just 
I think they're too far down the rabbit hole, basically. Well, and that's always possible, but then it kind of leaves us in a quite quite a terrible position here, right? Because then we really don't have. Yeah, well, I guess we should we should probably uh, dig a little deeper on that first, then before we draw sure. any conclusions. So, if that's the situation, if liberalism and its need to kind of allow for individuation is something that has a hard time drawing barriers around things that are kind of essential to our identity and our well-being. Is there a version of this that can continue and exist? Can we contain liberalism to specific spheres of our societies without them spilling over and eventually just becoming that civilizational asset? And if so, what can be used to do that? Well, um, it would have to be a competing value set that was imbued with sincere belief uh, that we could use to leverage against liberalism. Because the problem with liberalism, and no, no, not many people on the right want to admit this, is that it has virtues. There are mm -hmm. virtues in liberalism. It is able to muster a convincing argument against oppression and for agency. And this is one thing that conservatives actually do believe in, is personal agency. Uh, and so liberalism does have grounds to make its own arguments. Uh, it, however, can't stop itself from going too far. And so the conservative perspective has to ground itself and essentially be able to resist and overcome liberalism and return it to its proper place. Uh, and that means, um, Essentially, the conservatives, I think, should be arguing that you can't really be a liberal without being a conservative, without being in some way, if not religious yourself, in thrall or admitting the roots, the religious roots of conservatism that grounds liberalism in what would be a healthy polity, as in something that could be given healthy boundaries. Because again, the, the liberal argument against state power is a good one. And it works and it is good and you would rather live in a state that had liberal restrictions on state power than not i've got no doubt um, essentially it means the conservatives need to be able to find a way of arguing the moral legitimacy of their own case and one problem that they've had all of this time is being called names they can't take it they just can't take being called racist or sexist or transphobic or blah 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 they they have to just go well if that's what you think that's fine, you know, but I'm not changing my position and we are going to have this, you know, we are going to have these boundaries. And that's the only thing that I personally can see. If anyone's got any better ideas, I'm more than willing to hear them. So I, I think you're right about some a uh, good chunk of that. I would say that liberal restrictions on government power is a bit of a misnomer. Um, I think what actually restricts government power is competing spheres of authority. Sure. And but so, so, so just to, just to make clear, I, I do agree with you. What I'm, um, what I'm suggesting is that there is a, uh, an interest group that is created by liberalism that is concerned about executive authority and therefore produces that competing, uh, class of people who will oppose government overreach. Uh, so I, I do agree with you, but, uh, it's a, the, the belief to animate them to action is what I'm arguing for there. Yeah, fair enough. I just, I think a lot of times, and for most liberals, it turns into a mechanical thing or a constitutional thing. Yeah, they treat it thing. like the law of the universe. Exactly. Rather yeah. than understanding that what, that, that what creates the magic of competing 
powers. The, the Montesquieu's checks and balances isn't like, oh, well, because we have a tripod government. That's not actually yeah. what matters. Yeah. It's, it's descended that, from the heavens. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's yeah. the fact that you have the church and the nobility and the average person and the merchant class all with different and disparate yeah. interests working through representation inside that separation of powers. That is actually what's supposed to restrict you know, the, the power of government. It's not just because you cre mm. I created a new branch of government and now it checks the other one. That, that's not how that works at all. Yeah, it, it, actually Rousseau is right on this. Uh, there's no point having a constitution unless it's inscribed on the hearts of the people. Right. And uh, you know, Something it's about that, the, the one thing he and Demaster uh, agree on, yes. It's the one thing he got right, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, ultimately he can write down whatever he likes, but if people don't genuinely believe it, then it won't work. And he's right. And and this this is liberalism is good at getting people to genuinely believe that the state should have limits. I mean, that's that's fair. You know, it's to totally in line with the political traditions that people inherit in the English speaking world. So it's not that liberal doesn't liberalism doesn't have a strong argument. It's that there has to be a slightly stronger argument from the conservative side uh, to say, well, look, we are willing to exercise authority in order to protect the sanctity of marriage, the innocence of children, uh, the orthodoxy of a good Western education, for example, the, all of these things, the conservatives need. And, and honestly, in America, there are, there are conservatives doing this, actually, just actively legislating against the excesses of liberal, liberalism, which is a good thing. And honestly, in my country, we look on it in envy, uh, like about half of America at this point that seems to have woken up to, oh, there's something terribly communist going on here and we don't like it. Um, it's not necessarily communist in, in the way that people think of communism, but I'm, I'm happy to let the boomers call it communism. Same thing. I, I, yeah. I have the Just, same approach. Yeah, I'm not going to correct them. Yeah, it's basically communism, mate. It sure, man. Absolutely. Let's, as long as yeah. you're ready to crush it, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. That's exactly how I feel about it. 100%. The only time I make that argument is when I have to do the, like, the James Lindsay, like, well, if we just get rid of communism, we can go back to liberalism thing. It's like, no, that that's not right. Yeah. But but yeah, for the for the average boomer who's like, it's communism. Sure, man, let's let's just blow it up together. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 hundred yeah. percent. So so I'm gonna make uh, I'm gonna make the the juvenile ju the juvenilian um, uh, slash hoppian argument here, and, and you let me know what you think. Um, True. Liberal democracy does not restrict uh, the power of government ultimately. It allows for the centralization and control of government by destroying competing spheres of authority. So as the authority of the church and the authority of the family is, uh, is inevitably destroyed by the elective process of liberalism, it is the state that has to then pick up the political energy that is kind of loosened by the destruction of these traditional bonds. And ultimately, this is why liberal governments produce the levee en masse. That's why they produce uh, the income tax. Uh, this is why they produce, uh, you know, that liberalism, liberal democracy was necessary for the massification of civilization. The will of the people enables tyrannies far more plentiful than those of yeah. singular kings. And so what we've seen is liberalism's growth, not just because it makes people feel good, um, but because it actively enables the growth of the state. And ultimately, it is it is kind of this uh, hyper liberalization that has allowed basically uh, the, this global empire to assemble itself in under the virtue of liberalism and eventually wokeness and progressivism. There could be some truth to that. Um... 
again, if we begin back at Locke, um, creating the mechanical universe without God, then it seems inevitable that eventually the, let's just take the church as a bulwark against total centralization of state power, even though there's a lot that can be picked, holes picked in the idea of an actual separation of church and state, especially in, say, my country, where we don't have such a thing. Uh, but let, let's say the church itself is just um, a separate institution around which sincere belief can gather into a politically powerful force. Um, if liberalism did, at, at bottom, create that cleavage between the universe and God and has acted as the kind of acid that has broken it open, then sure, you could definitely say that liberalism has reduced a power block that would challenge its own centralizing authority. Uh, but moreover, if it's created a sincere belief in the minds of its adherents, in place of the sincere belief that would have engaged with the church uh, and created that as a power block, then yeah, you could say it's kind of sucked up all of that energy and centralized it all in the state. Uh, and then you are absolutely right. I mean, that liberalism being a materialist philosophy means that harm mean, needs to be mitigated. And therefore, why wouldn't you use the state to do that? It's a particularly powerful object, an entity that can be used to all sorts of things. And you are, again, correct, I think, in saying that there's no way any kind of pre-modern kingship could have arrived at the levels of tyranny we've seen in the 20th century. God only knows what we'll see in the 21st. So it's it's definitely an argument that I think has merit. Um, and honestly, I, I, it's hard to think of a good counter-argument off of the top of my head uh, because there doesn't seem to be one. Well, I, I just, it's something that I found very compelling. Uh, the, mm. the, you know, because I'm a, look, man, I'm a, I'm a, a talk radio GOP Republican for sure. my, for all of my life up until about three years ago. I, I believed in all of this stuff, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, so, well, so I, I believed in liberalism up until about three years ago. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, just throwing this out here as, no, no, like, I, oh, beat up on, because I made a, you know, a similar, not the same journey, but a similar journey mm, in that mm. I'm not sure that any of this stuff really, the, the things that I thought were liberal uh, restrictions on government, I'm not sure that they ever were, that they were momentarily. But, but the, the argument that I think, the juvenile makes and and i really again i, I have a hard time refuting it is mm -hmm. that really sovereignty is based on dependency and sure. once we liberated ourselves from dependency on community and church and family we didn't become independent we simply became dependent on something else and because mm -hmm. those small competing spheres all made massive demands on our time we felt more liberated, right? Because I don't have to raise children or please a wife or go to church oh, yeah. and pay a lot of money or blah, blah, blah. Now I can play all the video games I want, right? But of course, that's not a good life, obviously. And that's not um, freedom either. No, it's not at all. But on yeah. top of that, um, our, we still need people in our old age or when we get sick. We still need people to care for us in these scenarios and it's not that we just become liberated from that need it's simply that the state becomes that person so the woman doesn't become independent of her husband she simply makes the government her husband the 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 the, the university student doesn't the new atheist does become independent of religion the state simply becomes the new religion and we never really actually 
free ourselves because there is no such thing as freedom. There's only duty and dependence. And when we place ourselves inside of uh, those smaller, more subsidiary uh, dependencies, then we have what we think of as a good life that can be oriented towards virtue. But when we dissolve it all into one Leviathan dependence on state, mm -hmm. then it simply becomes what we have now. I mean, I think that's a fairly uh, accurate representation of what we've got. And in fact, you can look to early liberal thinkers um, and see that this was kind of inevitable anyway. I mean, Rousseau does have a particular line in the social contract that expressly says the whole purpose of liberalism is to make man as independent of one another as possible and as dependent on the state as possible. And I mean, Locke obviously wasn't in favor of this, but he clearly has lost the argument. Uh, and maybe it was definitively going to happen from the premises of liberalism that we would arrive at this point, as you've just described. Um, but there are some who just embrace it and say, no, you know, the mask doesn't need to be on for this. That's the point. Because, and maybe, maybe you can understand in their own day where you have a, a very thick, cloying society where you have recognized social ranks and you have these sort of imposed duties and obligations that you can't escape and maybe aren't even fair in some ways. And so the argument for liberalism to break social bonds, I mean, this is literally the very beginning of the social contract. Everywhere is man, man is born free and is in chains. The chains weren't the state. The state wasn't nearly powerful enough to do that. It was society that was the problem. And so the purpose of liberalism was to break these chains of society so that man could be a self-authoring creature. Well, we've discovered that man is not a self-authoring creature and never can be. You are whatever, you are the product of your environment, basically, whatever that happens to be. And it could well be that there is no way in liberalism to establish any of the goods that we're talking about other than total dependence on the state, because liberalism itself is oriented to breaking social bonds. And it looks like we're arriving at that point, doesn't it? Yeah, quite, yeah, quite, quite quickly and in a terrifying manner. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to throw one more possibility out to you, and this won't be any white pill for anybody, so sorry about that, but here we go. Um, there aren't so, many around, though, are No, there? no. <laughs> you know, it, it, we get this on the podcast every day. It's like, don't you have any good news? It's like, do you see any good news? <laughs> if you find <laughs> me, let me know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, but yeah, if you, if you can't be, uh, if you can't be positive, at least be uh, right, I suppose. But um, yeah. yeah, so Nick Land um, kind of pointed out his understanding and he, he called this capital uh, so we can yell at him for his his early Marxism if we'd like. Yeah. But I think his his point here is is strong. He looked at capital or liberalism as we would we would see it. And he said, um, basically, traditional cultures are like uh, kind of the, the rods on a nuclear reactor. Uh, they're there to contain this capital reaction, this liberal reaction, and allow it to be like used to the good of society. But kind of once one of these rods is ripped out, uh, we start to just see a chain reaction that builds upon itself mm -hmm. and it kind of consumes everything. He gives kind of the example of like, gunboats opening uh you know up asian countries you know china wants to it doesn't it doesn't care if it doesn't modernize because it, it's chosen to be chinese and not a mm -hmm. world citizen uh but eventually those that advance do come around and, and yeah. kind of destroy that the, the power and, unleashed is too great to resist exactly and so the question is 
is the dissolving power of liberalism unavoidable not because we're not virtuous because we stop believing in god because we're not morally capable of the things our forefathers were but that we're caught in a historical and mechanical inevitability and that kind of the only thing that can happen is that eventually these things just have to run through and burn their way through society is there even a way to hedge against what has now become this completely out of control reaction of liberalism i think it was um noted political philosopher robbie williams the musician who uh, recently said that he doesn't really understand what's happening, but he, he knows that there's good and truth in his own family, and so he commits to them. And honestly, I think at this point, that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, it, it probably is that we simply have to ride the tiger of modernity until it burns itself out, and we collapse into the new golden age. Um, until then, I think the best thing really is to make sure that you and your loved ones are just cared for and taken care of as best you can. Um, I... I I mean, the forces that we are watching play out at the moment are legitimately titanic. And I mean that in every sense of the word when I say titan. Um, they are... I, I can totally understand why a lot of Christians are like, well, I think we're kind of living in Satan's world. It seems that demons are running around everywhere. And, you know, as an atheist, it's like, well, that sounds stupid. And then you see... Like literally people, you know, dressing up yeah. as demons and, you know, yeah. trying to mutilate children. You're like, well... Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and yeah, 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 exactly. And and you're like, okay, well, it's I don't agree that they are quote unquote demons, but I totally see why you're calling them demons, and it becomes less ridiculous by the day. Uh, but the 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 forces that have been unleashed are genuinely enormous. You can see it in all of the West that this the the gay pride flag, wherever that flies, which is literally the entire American empire at this point, yeah. uh, and all of its uh, vassal states. The, this is a massive force. I can't imagine what it would take. I mean, if you just name some other movement to get the entire Western world to be flying your flag, that's such a colossal undertaking, right? And it's it's everywhere. It's in every layer of society. I mean, there was a clip going around from a Canadian school where a Muslim student was like, well, I don't really believe in all of this stuff. And the Canadian teacher was like, well, you should leave. Like, the country. They meant leave. You should the one thing that the... will get them to expel immigrants, huh? Is that the... The one thing, yeah, exactly. Base, expel based immigrants, you know? Of course, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Great. Uh, the, 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 the religion of inclusion strikes again. Um, and you can tell the teacher was really upset by this as well. This was genuine, like, oh, I'm hearing heresy, right? That was, that was the teacher's tone of voice. And that, that is that is mad, and that is enormous. And we should and we ought to do what we can, obviously, to push back against it. I mean, the Bud Light boycott, go. Do everything, you know, do all of these things. You know, legislate as much as you can. But there does feel like there is something... Uh, the nuclear reactor um, example... Uh, why am I forgetting the word? Analogy mm -hmm. is a good one. Um, because it is a colossal amount of force that is currently being uncontrolled. Um, I don't think we can put it back in the bottle. I don't think that we can stop it. I think we do have to ride it out for as long as we can and just try and make sure that we are okay. So when the final, uh, the, when the when the reactor finally burns itself out and all of the fallout has polluted all of the world, we might be in a bunker somewhere and can at least have protected ourselves. 
No, I think that's absolutely right. And I, you know, again, a lot, no, no massive white pills here, but if you're going to take one away, guys, this is it. Like I, obviously I'm a little different in that I, I grew up with a religious tradition. I've always found a deep amount of meaning in it. So I, I can't, I, I can't be like, ah, I figured this out. No, not at all. I'm insanely lucky and I believe it entirely without, without doubt. So, you know, lucky me i I can't i can't i can't put take any credit for this one at all my parents get all of it and and my my community get all of it but but even beyond that like i find an incredible amount of meaning in my family and i this is and i know that's and i know i'm I'm a i'm now basically a boomer telling this gen z kids about this like you know back when you can meet a girl without being online so they're like okay i can't help but notice we're both basically silver fox yeah yeah you've got me by like three years i think not not much man we're right there but um uh but yeah so we're i know we're now it's grandpa carl and Oren sitting on the on the porch (laughs) telling the kids to to but gather around, kids, because we've gather got some around, stories. happening no matter what. <laughs> so um, I, I, I know it's really easy and flippant to just say yeah. start a family or, you know, find 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 a woman, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, I know that's not an easy thing. I'm not trying to belittle that at all, guys. Mm. But there's just no other good answer for this. Like, if you can find a religious tradition, if you can find God, do so if you can have a family do so if you can't do the best to get yourself in a position where you can do at least one of those two things if if it, nothing else build a community yeah. of people around something beyond yourself and above, beyond some kind of pop uh you know uh entertainment and if you can do those things it will help you weather this thing the only way out is through like i think that's absolutely right and but i think there there is a good new good news is that the things the forces around us can't go on forever they will fall apart and the people who plant seeds now will prepare things for those down the road you know you you plant Mm -hmm. the trees now even though you won't sit under them because at some point your children will and you have to have that mentality it's not an easy place to be but it is an essential you you are part of a cycle of history and you have to find your meaning and place in it and this i think is is a really key part of it i like um uh, alexander dugan has a has a bit where he says you know modernity was about the death of god uh but after the death of god and post modernity people ask the question the death of who because there's no reference point and at yeah. that point you're actually in a position where the world can be re-enchanted, where you're no longer struggling these things because you've actually gone through the crucible. And on the other side, there's a possibility of the resurrection of meaning and, and purpose and spirituality that onboards this understanding of modernity and liberalism, but takes mm-hmm. it into a direction that is more robust and meaningful. And, the, you know, I, I can't help but think of a line from Fight Club being that old. Uh, about how Tyler Durden is just lecturing uh, about how we don't have a great war to fight. Our great war is a spiritual war against consumerism and modernity. And looking back, I remember watching this when I was about 21 years old in the cinema or something like that. And I, I was just like, yeah, that's a profound man. Uh, but obviously I didn't understand what yeah. was being said in that line. And it's only in later years when I'm like, actually, that genuinely is the problem because I mean, at the time I could still find a woman who was respectable enough to make a wife. Right. And it is genuinely 
harrowing to watch young men now who are good, upright, decent young men. And, and they message me all the time saying, you would not believe the options that I have. You wouldn't pick a single one and I can't pick any of them. What am I supposed to do? I'm like, man, I do not know. I do not have an answer for you. Um, but I, I totally co-sign what you said there. E even if it seems impossible, well, the great struggle for you is to do that. That is the great struggle that you have to face, I'm afraid. Um, and there's nothing we can do to change that. And there's no other way around it. Like you say, you've got to go through. Absolutely. Well, we have some questions of the people stacking up here. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to touch on before we go over no, there? No, I think, I think it was a good, good discussion. All right. Well, I think everyone knows where to find what you're doing. But just in case, can you let people know what they should be checking out see more of, Carl? Well, I would suggest going to lotusseas.com, uh, which is doing very well. Thank you. And um, you can follow me on Twitter, Sargon of a Cad. Absolutely. Yeah, they demonetized you guys on YouTube. Yeah, right? they did. But yeah, uh, so we were we were expecting it. I yeah, totally. But it's still guys just remember, you know, take care of people. Um, you know, if you find their content valuable, um, absolutely mm -hmm. just understand those things aren't automatic. And you, if you if you want alternatives, you got to support them. All right, let's jump in here real quick. Uh, new golfer, $20. Oren and Carl, are you familiar with Augusto Del Nos's work, specifically the problem of atheism? The Christian view of man views man as a necessary relationship with God, contingent one with society. Marxism flips this. Uh, from my inability to pronounce the gentleman's name, you can probably tell I am unfamiliar, uh, but it does sound like a good work. I'm not familiar with it, but um, it's interesting how... Uh... He is right that Marxism puts man in necessary relationship with society. Um, I, I haven't read it, but it's interesting. All right, let's move on here for 10 uh, euros. Uh, selfish neuron. What is worse, liberalism, Yarvin's model, or democracy, AA's model, or something deeper like mismatch of biology, human nature, enlightenment ideals, or even Uncle Ted was right? Um, that's quite a mishmash there. What's mm. worse? Um, I, am I mean, ultimately it comes sure. down to the enlightenment ideals failing to understand the reality of human beings. Right. And, and that's, the, to, that's and, a base of it all. And to be really fair, guys, I know it's, it's, we have an incredible, uh, uh, force of hindsight. Uh, yes. we are not in the situation these people were in. We had not lived under oppression. We had in, in the way that they had. We had not lived in the kind of experiences they did. And so it is really easy to look back from a relatively materially um, plentiful modernity and say, how could anyone fall for all of these things? How could anyone yeah. be so foolish as to assume? Um, but you got to remember, a lot of these people were very smart and they were making assumptions that made perfect sense at the time. Um, and it, um, you know, many of them yielded many benefits from which we now uh, enjoy and so just, you know, remember at the end of the day, um, while it's easy to be hard on people in retrospect, uh, you know, understand that uh, all of these things are connected. They're all of their time. Uh, they, they are connected mm. to history and, and great forces around them. And you are too. The things that, that will seem obvious to people in 200 years uh, would not have been obvious to you. So, uh, I think a really strong example of that is almost everyone that we've referenced today uh, lived before anesthetic. Mm -hmm. Imagine that, right? Yep. So it's not that the Enlightenment and science and liberalism have not done good things. Uh, it's that 
we didn't realize what was going to be lost along the way and there's no really it, it's kind of unfair to have expected them to have known that in advance as well you know even though as berkeley was saying well there are there are people pointing out the hang on a second there are there are problems here and it's like yeah but uh the solutions seemed necessary i think Right. And, and, you know, again, this is why I think Demaestra is so powerful. Carlisle is so powerful because these were guys writing around the inception of this stuff. They are more contemporary. And so I think their objections hold more weight uh, mm. because they are people who, who are prescient about the problems that would follow. Um, and many of those are things that, uh, to be fair, like especially with Carlisle, that um, kind of uh, conservatives or right wingers today uh, would have a hard time admitting. When he talks about the the grinding human toll that will come from liberalism and capitalism, things that I think a lot of people would would uh, would be scared to to look at today uh, from the right. So just remember again that those you know th those things are not easy to to understand, but they are connected. And those people are going through crucibles that that you don't have to go through. You're sitting at the end of what was a benefit mm -hmm. of a movement and saying, "Well, here are the weak points." So yeah. Even if I think those are worth pointing out and significant, that, that, that is a good thing to keep in mind. All right, David here. Once again, thank you very much. Sure. Uh, should the right build new institutions or simply take them back? In the case of a new right is in, uh, indeed my opinion, as the conservatives are too weak, sadly. Uh, yeah, I think you do need a new right. I think you do need a movement that is outside of traditional uh, conservatism. Uh, the GOP, uh, you know, uh, is not going to save you guys if you're sitting around waiting for uh, conservative political parties uh, to kind of do uh, do their thing. That's that's never going to happen. I don't think entryism works for the most part uh, for the right now. I think you do need parallel institutions. You need do need institutions and alternatives that provide something new and different. Um, eventually, at some point, those might turn into the establishment institutions. That's kind of the goal. So in that way, you could replace them. But I don't think you're just going to step into, say, like the current FBI in the United States and turn that ship around. They know what they're about and they're not going to be changing that. I just want to add, though, both are important, right? Entryism where you can mm -hmm. uh, build build institutions where you must, right? So um, both. But you are That's right. We are going to need to build the institutions. Well, and I think this is, again, where it's uh, a failure of understanding, I think, uh, regionalism versus, you know, centralization. Uh, you might be able to enter into institutions locally or regionally that you otherwise could not at a national level. So, again, I live in Florida. I live under the beneficence of King DeSantis. Um, and in Florida, because we did not have a deep state apparatus, uh, Ron DeSantis was able, basically able to walk in and just conquer institution after institution inside the florida uh ecosystem because of that so just because you know you can't enter an institution on the national level and completely reform it from the top down doesn't mean that you can't gain control of a school board or a sheriff's seat or something and reform that institution and make a very significant difference for the place that you and your family live mm -hmm. All right, we got Creeper Weirdo here for $10. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, people want big, important things, God, Family Nation, and, uh, and uh, sorry, and small, fun distractions, movie books, uh, video games, etc. The two contradict sometimes, but that's what people want. So, yeah, I think it's can important. I, can I take oh, this? Sure, I, I think this is interesting. Like, this, this hits on something I've been thinking about recently. Mm -hmm. Because these things are not separate, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the question is... The, the the question is of order and liberty, right? 
They want the order of God, family, and nation, and then the liberty that that provides to enjoy movies, books, and video games, etc., uh, in the comfort and safety of having the established order. And I, I was reading Scruton the other day, just because I enjoy reading Scruton, because he's nice to read. And uh, he makes a good point that the, the, the main sort of dichotomy and tension in modern politics is kind of down to, to an assumption that, look, from the liberal perspective, order comes from liberty, but from the conservative perspective, liberty comes from order. And it's demonstrable that the liberal assumption is wrong. Right. It's demonstrable. Like, they, they assume that in the state of nature, they have perfect liberty, and therefore they come together to form an order. Well, that's not true. That's never how things have been. And actually, uh, what they would, if we look back historically, you, what the liberal would judge to be a hideously oppressive hierarchical society existed before the liberty that the liberal eventually uh, molds it into, right, into, into the modern world, where we have too much liberty. And so the conservative position that liberty comes from order is undoubtedly true, uh, and order does not come from liberty. Uh, it is, in fact, um, just the other way around. And so the, the conservatives have got quite a strong um, thing to stand on there, foundation to stand on there, uh, by saying, look, you do have to have the big things before you can have the fun distractions, uh, but the fun distractions come after you establish the big things. And the big things themselves are made up of small things, like the, the family, the nation, uh, they, they are scaling things. And once you have them correct, once you can be uh, a decent family man and be uh, appropriately patriotic to your country, you have the fun distraction. Then you can go and grill. That's literally the end goal, right? So the, these aren't necessarily intention, and it's just about the way that we look at how these are constructed that's important, I think. It's hard to describe to people because, like, you understand it theoretically, but until yeah. you've done it, it's hard to describe to people the joy of passing a hobby that you love onto a child it yep. it it sounds so insignificant no. but it is really truly one of the like the great joys of life and this is part of the experience like this is part of the thing yes yeah. you have to have the family you have to have a nation of stability you have to have a god that ties you to these things before you then have the family which you can pass these things on to but when you do it will be almost as significant as the other things you are doing in a way. It, it, honestly, right. So one, one of the things I am is a stern disciplinarian when it comes to playing video games. Uh, I am worse than communist China for letting my children play with video games, right? Which sucks because I love playing video games. And one, what's more is I love playing video games with my son. And so I've got a desk just next to this one uh, in which... Uh, for a few hours on the weekends, uh, we will sit and play some video games together, and it's the best part of my week, and I look forward to it every week, right? And the thing is, he looks forward to it as well, because he loves playing the video games. And so I use this as a method of keeping him in line. If you do something naughty, no video games this weekend. And it always kind of breaks my heart when he does do something naughty. Because then you don't get to do it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because then I don't get to play video games either. And that's and one of the uh, hardest thing is is like is like realizing is. that the discipline of your child is more important than your yes. enjoyment of a moment with that. Yeah. Like that's actually way harder than some of the other stuff that people don't realize. But sorry, I didn't. I interrupt. No, no, no. You exactly. You're exactly right, and you just exactly finished the thought there because that was completely correct. It can be heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. But uh, but it, you are exactly right. Passing on 
the things you love to your children has a genuine magic about it and like 40k is again another great example. i was wondering when we were getting here yeah go ahead. we were gonna get there because <laughs> man the the so when when I first me and my son first started playing with Necrons and Space Marines, that, that came in the box. I really wanted Thousand Suns, so I got the Thousand Suns Codex. And when my son first saw it, man, the look on his face he was like, "Daddy, can these be for me?" And I was like, "Oh no, you know, I wanted those," <laughs> you know. And he was just like blown away by it. So you know, I got him Chaos Demons instead. But like, it, it, there's a genuine magic there, and I'll never forget the face. You know, he was like, it was that you can't describe it until it's happened to you. Uh, but man, when it happens to you, it's just genuinely the best thing. The best it, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, so I think it, there is a, there's a no fun brigade that runs around on Twitter oh, and I stuff. No you know, brigade. these people, oh, well, how could you, you know, play these games? How could you do this stuff? You should only be lifting weights and earning money yeah. and, and, and whatever. But, uh, but yeah, don't listen to those people. Like, yeah. yes, order yourself correctly. Go after the big things first, but don't yeah. lie to yourself about the essential nature of the small things. Because when you do get to share those, that will be something that's beautiful. Totally. All right. So we've got uh, Coney, current year. Very nice. Well done uh, for five pounds here. Uh, former New Atheist here. Where, uh, where, uh, were we to return to Christianity? Would it stop another death of God situation in society that Nietzsche pointed to? Again, an excellent question. And I think a, a legitimate challenge to religious people. That's kind of why I uh, uh, mentioned kind of Dugan's uh, postmodern religious uh moment uh where you move beyond the death of god and into a situation where this is kind of no longer the struggle this is no kind of the defining under the the disenchantment of the world is no longer the defining feature of mm -hmm. kind of your epoch and you move into one in which i think you're asking different questions because you understand that the death of god was not a positive step for your society and you move into something that that onboards that and so you're right that i don't think I think that religion will shift. It will be eternal because its truths are eternal. Um, but I think there will be an approach that will be somewhat different onboarding the lessons of, of modernity and post-modernity when we kind of turn that corner. I don't really uh, have a lot to add to that. It's, right. it is, I just feel bad for Nietzsche, to be honest. Like the, the, the misunderstood uh, like prophet of the modern yeah. age. You know, oh, he's a nihilist. No, he wasn't. shut up. You know, it, it was not a good thing that God was dead to Nietzsche. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's what happens when people read a quote and that's all they know yeah. about, yeah, you know. precisely. Or even half a quote, really, <laughs> with that and, one. He talks about the, the blood you can never wash away from your hand, yeah. but anyway. And to be honest with you, Nietzsche did make himself deliberately impenetrable. And I tell you, it took me years to be able to actually read anything that he'd written. So I actually don't blame people for not having read it. Um, you know, maybe there's a, a question about method, methods of delivery there, Nietzsche. Yeah, I, it's still a slog for me when I get into it. I'm still, yeah. it's not, still not something I enjoy reading, even though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, here. Uh, Johan Richardson, 999. Thank you very much. I'd sooner in, uh, interpret Anglo American liberty as a function of the Reformation rather than the Enlightenment. Luther and Cromwell probably uh, explain more of what historically made free men. Uh, many people uh, will make a similar argument. That's not the first time I've heard that one, but what do you think, Carl? Not that you have to formulate an incredibly... No, no. It, yeah, that it, is a, deep, a large question there, but... There's there's a part of me that thinks that maybe it's not even worth separating anything when it comes to this sort of... Uh, the historical trend, because... 
you can see the same impulses and trends have been happening for literally hundreds of years before anything we would call liberalism. And it was probably inevitable, just given like geographic circumstance and the procedure of events that something like this would end up happening. Uh, but then you start getting into a kind of deterministic frame where nothing that happens is changeable and it was all inevitable and you can never identify a starting point for anything and I don't really like getting into those sort of discussions because it kind of takes away the agency of the person examining it right and so and it kind of implies that we were not responsible for anything as well I don't like that either so you know I, I mean you you definitely probably could point to Luther and Cromwell but then, like, you know, well, it's kind of the Germanic view on personal responsibility and industry and blah, blah, blah. And then you get into other conversations that aren't really very productive, in my opinion. So I try to avoid them. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm always in a position where, like, I don't like the deterministic view, but then I just keep staring at everything Spangler gets right. And I'm like, well, I know. this gets harder and harder to disagree with. All right. Um, Cody here again. Thank you very much, sir. Is liberalism just the ideology of merchant rule? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, for, for there, there's certainly a huge part to that, right? And But merchant rule, what does that mean? It really means the alienation of things, right? The ability of to, to move things and make them quickly interchangeable. Um, that's If you've ever read Nick Land's Meltdown, that's basically just, as while it seems indecipherable, if you just read it by understanding the beginning, it's just him explaining merchant rule, uh, mm -hmm. then it, it quickly becomes far more understandable. Um, so, so in many ways, yes, it, it is. Um, and money power again, to, to reference Spangler is something that always rules at kind of the, the, the late winter stage of civilizations. Uh, so that should really become, you know, something that's not too surprising if you're kind of following that pattern. I, I think there's a, there's an argument to be made that it's not as bad as it sounds, at least in the time that it existed, because you didn't have international conglomerate corporations owned everything in your country uh, most people well unless it was the, the unless it was the east indian trade company sure unless you're in <laughs> india uh, right. but but you know when napoleon's like well england's a nation of shopkeepers he wasn't wrong mm -hmm. you know most most people owned a small business and they they ran it themselves and so they had their own sphere of independence and uh pr productivity that was closely linked to the success of their own country and so being, you know, having a merchant ideology wasn't necessarily a bad thing in the time and place. Of course, we live 200 years on from that, and uh, now everything's owned by BlackRock, so. Yeah, that's the thing, again, like, if if you view history as, a like, a series of connected mistakes that are keeping you from progress, hmm. then you can see how this is a problem. But if you don't have this Whiggish view of history, if you understand that, these are these are cycles. These are things that all civilizations go through. These are inevitable patterns of humanity and social organization. Then it's less about them being good or bad in and of themselves as part of, of the growth and maturity and then eventually aging of a society. I think that merchant you know, power is going to come. I think the reason we're seeing it's, you know, bad effects now is that our classes work so hard to continue it beyond its natural life cycle. And the reason it looks so ugly and deformed now is it's being kind of kept alive on life support through the most drastic use of, uh, of kind of uh, state and ideological power uh, available. But eventually mm -hmm. it too will pass and a new cycle will begin again and merchant power will transform into something else. And I think that 
so 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 they're they're highlights of each one of these phases and i think it's just a mistake to look at any one of them and say this is inherently wrong and if we could just defend against this then it would be all up from here like i, I don't think that's how it works because i mean imagine if you're living in like you know 19th century england in a small town and everyone you know owns their own shop you'd be in favor of that you right know, you, that's you'd the conservative dream in america right that's what people talk it, about when they talk about exactly. small town america yeah this benefits all of my friends and family and local community for for this ideology to be in ascendance. So you would agree with it. It would, it would be morally correct because you're not thinking 200 years down the line, how will this look? Of course you're not thinking that. Right. And then, then this is why the encoding of knowledge and wisdom in traditions is mm -hmm. always essential because even when you move through these patterns, if you can hold closer to those things that your society has kind of found valuable encoded in something deep and meaningful then you're much more likely to reap the benefits of where you are rather than falling mm -hmm. off of that entirely and going too far taking that to its its logical conclusion spinning out of control to where we're at at this moment i think and just just as a thing to add on to that and that that, that begins with humility actually mm -hmm. absolutely uh, that, which is we, I, we, I knew i knew you'd agree but like a lot of people don't think about it right they're not it's not at the forefront of the mind. And I have to say for many years, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind either, you know, but there, there is a humility that builds up in these traditions because they have been through the cycles. You know, the, the traditions have survived the cycles of the rise and the fall. And so beginning with, I don't know is actually a much more reassuring and successful position than I'm sure we've got it figured out this time. Uh, no, no, you don't. Yeah, the, the, both both Chesterton and Lewis captured this really well. You know, democracy is uh, or, or tradition is the democracy of the dead, you know, and mm. then Lewis talking about uh, chronological snobbery, you know, us looking, yeah. looking at everyone behind us and realizing, you know, perhaps they, they might have something, some wisdom to say. We're not we're yeah. not better just because we're further along the timeline. Yeah, All right, guys, I'm, oh, sorry, I've come guys. to really hate the Whig view of history. I have to say. Yeah, it's it is. It is absolutely the worst. Yeah, it's yeah. just wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs> all right guys well i think we got through all of the questions here thank you everybody who came by i think this was a great talk uh again carl thank you so much for coming on it's always a blast to talk with you my pleasure man really really good to have uh to have a conversation on this with you absolutely all right guys well if it's your first time by the channel make sure that you go ahead and subscribe like all that stuff and of course if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts you can check out the Warren mcintyre podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms when you do that, make sure that you leave a rating or review over there. And uh, guys, again, really appreciate it. Lots of great discussion, great questions. Thank you for coming by. And as always, we'll talk to you next time.